Uh, here we go. Here we go. This is episode 92 of No Laugh Track. Thank you to the guys in Circle of Heat for uh, letting us play their music there at the beginning. If you haven't yet, like us on Facebook, No Laugh Track, at No Laugh Track on Twitter. I'm on Twitter as well. We'll get to that. But uh, let's get. To I'm it. on Twitter. Let's get to that voice. Who who is supplying that voice? I'm at Stout Ryan on Twitter. Stout Ryan, but that's not your name. No, my name's Ryan Stout. Ryan Stout. Yeah, I switched him around because there's a web developer named Ryan Stout, What's and a- he early adopted that Twitter handle. Um, but I got the rest of the web real estate: Facebook, YouTube, RyanStout.com. It's all me. Who has MySpace? Um, I did. I did. It was important back in 2007. <laughs> I had a, just had a conversation last night with my girlfriend about MySpace. Yeah, like, what, what was it based on? I don't even remember how it came up, but I was. Uh, uh, she criticizes me for spending too much time on social media, and mm-hmm. then I was ripping on MySpace, and she's like, "Well, what was the difference?" Like, I I didn't. I was late to the game, so I shit on it all the time. Yeah, so <laughs> it, it was never important to you. Yeah, exactly. So that's the one you'll bag on. Yes. Even though it's identical. Yeah, whatever's convenient for me. Right. right. Well, I mean, Facebook just looks more professional. It looks more adult. So people are like, oh, this is... Well, that was my argument, in, uh, is that you know, the thing I hated about MySpace was that people would uh, personalize it, and they have most people have terrible taste. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or at least it's not mine. Or, so or they, they would, would be like, black, black hearts yes. are everywhere, and they're like, ah, I don't like it, but that's fine. I spent an hour trying to do that because I don't know HTML, and <laughs> ah, I'll just leave it. My girlfriend was like, I didn't know her back in the MySpace era, mm-hmm. and she goes... Uh, yeah, you know, I used to spend a lot of time on mine. Like, see? See? Yeah, see. yeah I spent no time personalizing any of that stuff. But let's talk about the present. Let's talk about it. We're at Acme because you're headlining this week. Acme Comedy Company. Mm-hmm. I was at the show last night. Yeah. Yeah. That was a good show for Tuesday. I, I mean, I don't know if it if people came out because it was April Fool's. Or I, I don't know if that sits in anybody's head where they're like, oh, it's April Fool's. There's kind of like it, pranks in the air yeah. and comedy is kind of like... It's, it's the one day a year I allow myself to laugh. Part of the holiday. I don't know. Maybe we should go to a comedy club. Yeah. I don't know if people think that way, but... I uh, don't know. It was a nice nice sized crowd for mm-hmm. last night. Yeah. And uh, let's see. Earl Elliott was working last night. Amber Preston. Tommy Ryman. Tommy Ryman. Did a guest came, set. Yes. Yeah. That was- I, Tommy hosted for me, I think, back in maybe 2008. Eight? No kidding. Yeah. So, I mean, I've known him for a long time. And now he's coming out and doing little guest sets and kicking ass. Now, well, yeah, now yeah. he can just show up to the club and they're like, hey, do you want to go on? Mm-hmm. You can go on. We were uh, on the way home yesterday. My girlfriend asked, she goes, who was the guy in the glasses? Mm-hmm. I said his name. I was like, actually, you've asked me that before. <laughs> and he was here uh, like a month ago when we were here on open mic night to see Swartzen when he was in town. Uh-huh. Oh, oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. I haven't seen him before. Well, you know. It is, it is kind of the sign that you're at the top of your, uh, your comedic scene when you just show up to a club and they're like, hey, do you want to get on? Um, I remember it was that way for me kind of in San Francisco around 2004. I would just show up and people would be like, oh, hey, dude, do you want to do a guest set? Do you just want to pop onto the show? Yeah. And you, it's a sad thing because you realize like, oh, I can't go anywhere from here. I have to move away <laughs> and try to either get on television yeah. or I have to commit to this as a hobby yeah, yeah. and just kind of do it that way and eventually fade into obscurity enough that People go, well, we can't offer him a guest set because he's not going to do anything with it. Yeah. <laughs> he's not going to use it for any good purpose. You, uh, did I hear you were here for open mic on Monday? 
I showed up for, uh, I was in Toledo last week, so I had a choice. I could either fly back to Los Angeles on Sunday and then fly here on Monday, because yeah. I don't like to fly the day of shows. <laughs> right. So, um, Especially I, this time of year when we're going to get possibly six inches of snow to, right. in the next Right, so I was days. like, I'll go straight from Toledo to Minneapolis, and I'll hang out for a night, and then the next night I'll go to the open mic. So yeah, I popped in. I, I tend to do that always, because Acme has one of the best open mics in the country, because yeah. it's always packed. Mm-hmm. It was packed. Packed. There was no place to sit. It's. Uh, I tell people, if you're going to go, don't. Don't go on. <clears throat> excuse me. Don't go on time. Go early. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the first time I ever saw it, it was full in here, and there were people waiting out at the bar. And it's the only time I've ever seen an open mic where this happened. Some people got up and left, and then people at the bar came in and filled in those oh. seats. And I was like, "This is intense." No, those are actually the seat warmers, like at the Oscars. But this is—I mean, I've seen like clubs that have like semi-professional showcases where it's empty yeah. on showcase yeah, night. Yeah. Isn't that nice? Yeah. So what is your what's your uh, history at Acme? First time was I know you did the 20th anniversary show. I did. Um my first time here might have been in 2006. Um my friend Danny Bevins was headlining oh, yeah. and Danny called uh Lewis the owner booker mm-hmm. uh, comedy god of Minneapolis. Yes, the godfather. And said, "Hey, um I want to bring this kid Ryan Stout with me." Uh I I know you guys don't usually allow outside features, but he can stay in my hotel room on a little fold-out couch. I just think you need to see him. And Lewis was like, if he can make it here, and if you say he's okay, then bring him. And I showed up, and uh, I did the week. I had a lot of fun. And then uh, Lewis was like, great, so next year you'll headline. And I went, okay, great, let's do that. And then um, I was telling somebody last night, this is the one club that I hate to cancel on. Like I, I get booked at clubs where I make the booking and I go, oh, I hope I book a TV thing and have to cancel that. <laughs> oh, I would love to not go there. Yet Acme, the one club that I would always fight to perform at, no matter what, I yeah. would fight to be here, is the one I've canceled on the most. Well, I was going to say, <laughs> you know, this is, like I said, 92nd episode of this podcast. I'm doing one a week. Mm-hmm. You haven't been here in no. over 92 weeks. No, I have yeah. not. Um, yeah, the last time I was here was in June of 2011. Yeah, I I recorded my album here. Oh, you did Touche for from Comedy Central Records. I didn't know it was recorded here, and um, and it went great. And then I think I was booked here 2000, uh, 2013. And then uh, I booked a television show, and I just couldn't come. Yeah, and Lewis was like, "All right, we'll just." We'll see when something opens up. Yeah. And I was like, no, I don't, I don't like that answer. <laughs> I want to be there. We'll keep you in mind. Yeah. We'll keep yeah. you in mind. Oh, uh, we know where your priorities lie. Okay. <laughs> Making money and being on TV. So be it. <laughs> so be it. I do like that, though. I mean, there are clubs. I canceled on a club in Detroit because I was hosting MTV's Spring Break in 2008. Mm-hmm. And I was like, um, I really want to go do that club date, but... TV thing came up, it's the same exact week. And I'm not an idiot. I'm not going to say, no, I'm not going to do the national television thing to go to Detroit for six shows. Yeah. And the owner of that club has never booked me back. And he's still there? And he's still there, and he does all his bookings every year. And I'm like, really? I would love to be there. I don't know. I don't know if that was just the deal breaker that never again now, but okay. I still think I made the right choice. Hates MTV. Hates that. Hate, doesn't like people making money. Doesn't like. <laughs> Fuck your success. <laughs> uh, I want. Can, can I ask you a couple of questions about the spring break MTV experience? Yeah, go ahead. So that that what you said it was what two thousand six seven eight two thousand eight two thousand eight. Yeah. 
And where um, was it? It was in um, Sunny Isles Beach, Florida. So it was a little south of Miami. Okay. I'm not I'm not quite sure on the geography. I knew I flew into the Miami airport. Um yeah, it was interesting because uh, the the television makes it look like there's just a party on the beach and MTV shows up. Right. And that might have been the case back in the day. But uh, you quickly realize, you know, I was a dumb kid who didn't know anything about television. I grew up in Texas. Yeah. Who knows anything about television? I quickly realized that, oh, it's an empty beach. There's guys out there, like, building a set. And uh, yeah. it's kind of cold. <laughs> it's not even sunny out. We have to shoot today. Um, and then all of a sudden the next morning, they bus people in who purchase tickets to be there. And uh, they're like, all right, everybody, uh, we're going to bring out the host. When we do, be real excited for the camera. Yeah. Here we go. Um, the weird thing was uh, somebody taped the day before I taped, and it had rained at like 6 a.m., so by the time they got out there at 10, it was freezing. Oh, no. And all these kids who bought tickets and showed up on the bus were like, we're not taking our jackets off. Screw you. And you can't keep us here. So everybody left. Oh, no. So now they're filming a television show on an empty beach. And they're like, yeah, we're just going to have to like cut in shots later. Extreme close-ups. And they've got <laughs> models on the stage wearing bikinis. And like they say, cut. And those girls like run and get under a blanket. Right, right. So then the next day we're doing... My taping, it's gorgeous out. It's perfect. Yeah. The crowd's amazing. They're so glad to be there. And uh, they just went, hey, we're just going to go ahead and cut and then do some crowd shots for that other special. Oh, no. And we went, no, that was great. It was awesome. I was like, good. Yeah, help them out. So be it. It's the only production I've ever been a part of that finished early. Like, we had to finish before sundown. Right. Rules about production. But... It was probably about five o'clock. We still had like three more hours of sunlight. And they were like, no, we, Ryan, you did it. I mean, we didn't need any more retakes and you got all the stuff done. So we're just done. Does the party end then? The fake party end? Um, well, I leave <laughs> and then they, they don't do anything else. They don't play music. So everybody's on the beach and they're like, oh, well, I guess I'll take my bus back to where I came from. <laughs> Strangest party ever. <laughs> and no booze. Well, a lot of them aren't old enough to drink. Yeah. I mean, that's the other thing. MTV shifted its demographic from the 80s when spring break was actually a huge thing. Mm-hmm. Because now the people watching MTV are 12 to 14-year-old girls. It's not the college-age kids right. who you know were part of the party culture. I'm trying to think who, like, who would have hosted the spring break MTV before you. Can you think of the, any um, of the names? In, in the 80s? Yeah. I think, uh, well, Polly Shore did it. Of course, Polly. Carson Daly did it. Bill Bellamy did it. Um, I know Chris Hardwick and Jenny McCarthy from Singled Out, they did it. Oh, yeah. Um, I guess that was 90s. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Look I mean, at that line of there's there's MTV talent. A long line of people that hosted that. So I was like, that's kind of iconic. Hell, yeah. We'll do that even though it doesn't really mean anything. It only means something on paper nowadays. Yeah. That's most of my career. People look me up on IMDb and they're like, wow, you've done a lot of things. I I have never heard of you. <laughs> and I'm like, yep, that's, I have a career. <laughs> well, it's based in obscurity, but uh, guess what? Checks are still the same. Just you know, MTV star, MTV <laughs> superstar along, you know, you and Snooki. Me and Snooki. They, I was actually... 
they pushed me to host like uh, the Jersey Shore like after show and the reunion shows. They were like, we should get Ryan Ryan Stout to host those. But at that point, MTV was kind of like, well, Ryan's a little too old now. Oh. Um, it was only like two years after I had been on the network constantly. I thought you were saying, we're, we're worried he's going to be too mean. <laughs> uh, well, MTV did this thing where uh, they're known kind of for, quote, churning and burning hosts. Yeah. And that was their word. Oh. <laughs> so I don't feel like I'm speaking out of school on this. Okay. They were like, yeah, we have a lot of people. They come in, they do some things, and then we get rid of them. Uh, I think because what happens is you negotiate a contract, yeah. and then they like you, yeah. and then they book you for a new project. A new project means new contract. So you go into negotiations again, and the money goes up. And then you get booked for a new project, and you go into negotiation, and money goes up. And then pretty soon they go, well, we can't afford you. And it's like, well, it's your fault for booking me on nine different projects that never aired. Did they ever want to give you a uh, reality show? I mean, I hosted like reunion shows for various reality. I hosted like Paris Hilton's best friend reunion oh, that, episode. That's right. I, I hosted the shot at love with Tila Tequila. Is like, she, what is she doing these days? Do you have any idea? No idea. No idea. No idea. I mean, the last I heard, she she re- released a piece of pornography. That's how. Uh, now I'm remembering. That's how MySpace came up last night. Because I was trying to describe you to my girlfriend. I was like, he did. He I know he's uh, he did a little show. Like he hosted something, but with Tila Tequila, her thing on MTV. And then she's like, yeah, I kind of know who that is. And I, I was trying to describe that. I thought she got famous on MySpace. It's odd because I. I went in, I had hosted several game shows for MTV, none of which made the air. Okay. And uh, then all of a sudden, I get called into the offices, and they're like, listen, we've got this show idea, we want you to host it, it's going on the air in two weeks. If you accept, it's actually going on the air. You're getting paid, and you're getting guaranteed X number of episodes. Wow. And they're like, it's going to be kind of a talk soup type thing where you stand with a screen and show some clips and make some jokes. That's like the opening monologue. And then you will uh, maybe do some sort of little uh, kind of interaction with your guest. Almost a sketch, but you're not doing characters. You're yourself, and there's a funny interaction. And then you will sit down with the guest and do an interview about their time on the show. Yeah. And then you will show some unseen footage. And then maybe some sort of interaction with the guest to close the show that's kind of a, a sketch sure. based on their personality. And I was like, oh, so it's a late-nighty comedy type of vibe. And they said, yeah, that's exactly what it is. And I said, great, let's do that. And my first guest sat in the chair and I said, hey, thank you for being here. You were just eliminated from the show. I'm so sorry. Let's take a look back at your time on the show. And as we're looking back, she starts crying. And I hear a producer in my ear who is not a comedy show producer. She is a reality show producer uh-huh. and very good at it, genius at it. But she says, Ryan, do not joke out of this. If she's crying, you, you just ask her questions. Do not joke out of this. Do not fuck this up. And I was We got like, her. We got her. I was like, oh, no, it's... It's not a late night talky type show. You want to do Maury Povich. Yeah, I was just oh, going to say, Paternity no. Test is coming next. Oh. So then every single guest that sat in the chair, the producers are like, and what can we ask to get them like emotional about their time on the show? And I'm like, that's not what I signed up for, guys. Oh, no. That's not. Oh, I didn't no, no. sign up to, uh-uh. to placate reality stars. And then it became, well, we've got this after show, so we can really play up the drama to try to milk them watching the next episode of the reality show. It doesn't even need to be this separate thing. We can just 
we can just take advantage of Ryan and this time to do more reality show stuff. And I'm like, okay, this is this is a good lesson. This is television. Yeah. You don't always get what you sign up for. Right. And if you're the host, you don't really have a say in this. You're hired to host. Meaning the programming is on the network, the style of the show is on the producers, you have to make their vision come alive. Yeah. And so you kind of swallow your pride a little bit and go, okay, now I understand. I understand. And so when I do stand-up comedy, it's very much, all right, I'm up here doing whatever I want to do. And screw you if you don't like it, because this is the only place I get to do this. When I do television, I have to make somebody else's dream come alive. <laughs> and it, it doesn't matter if it's a cake show, or if it's a game show, or if it's some dating thing. I'm someone else's puppet. Yeah. And I kind of went, well, that's entertainment, and stand-up comedy can be art, and I can draw that line in my head between the two. And uh, we can live our life like that, and, and kind of reframe things, and be okay, and sane. Uh, I have one more question about that type of stuff because mm-hmm. you, you mentioned Paris Hilton. So would you say she's an an acquaintance, a friend? N- n- neither. I, I ran into Paris, I think, in um, I want to say December, and uh, I was working at this uh, on a new network called Access Television. Mm-hmm. I, not everybody gets access. If you have Time Warner Cable, you don't get access. Um, AXS. It's owned by Mark Cuban. And he selected me out of many auditioners to be like, oh, I want that guy to host my shows. And uh, that was a new interesting thing for me because it made me really decide, are you a guy that wants a billion fans who each have $3 in their bank account? Or do you just want one fan who has $3 billion in his (laughs) bank account? And it became this weird thing where I almost became... uh, it almost became a king court gesture situation where I'm in front of a camera, but all I'm thinking is there's only one person watching this, and it's the king, and he'll Mark decide Cuban. whether or not. I just imagine him in his jet watching me, right. deciding whether or not I would remain employed. And uh, I was like, okay, I'm performing for the king. But anyway, Paris was in the studio. She was there for a different show, and as I popped by, I was like. Hey, how are you? Ryan, We uh, I hosted that reunion episode you did. She said, oh, yeah, good to see you again. And I just smiled. I was like, you don't yeah, remember me at all. It's okay. Yeah. I said, anyway, welcome to, to Access. Hey, come back anytime. If you want to be on my show, you can come be on my show. She said, okay, great. And that was it. Yeah. Um, I some imagine of these I, things are so brief that you don't... Yeah, no, I know. Yeah. I was going to say, I imagine... Um, uh, lines for her need to be fed slowly. That's what I would imagine. Um, but maybe or, not. Well, I, th- I think there are a lot of these situations where if somebody's a celebrity, they just have to be present. They don't really have to do anything. Somebody told me that the reason that I got spring break at all was because uh, people like Tila Tequila can't read teleprompter. Right. Like, it's a skill, or that she can't read cue cards. And yeah. they're like, Ryan, you're literate. You can read anything. <laughs> so you can keep the show rolling. Nice. And you can be present, and you know how to, like, host the show, whereas these other people just need to show their face. Wow. So a lot of those things, people don't remember me because there's an actual bona fide popular person sitting there next to me. Yeah. Meanwhile, being a good host is really about kind of being forgettable. I mean... What amazing moments has Jeff Probst had on Survivor? 
hopefully none. Hopefully you remember nothing that he's done on that show other than introducing the next challenge and then escorting people off. The tribe has spoken. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, he has a catchphrase. Yeah. And that's it. I mean, he's such an amazing host because you think about all the drama of that show. You don't think about him at all. That's right. Yeah. The, a good host doesn't need to kind of blend in on those yeah. shows. Yeah. That's I mean, true. even talk show hosts. You're supposed to sit there. Robert De Niro's sitting there. You talk to Robert De Niro about Robert De Niro. <laughs> you let him talk yeah. and have the spotlight. I mean, that's why Carson was so great. Because every guest was important and Johnny just happened to be there. Oh, I thought you were talking about Carson Daly. Again. Oh, no, no, no. Okay. <laughs> um, I, although I do like Carson when Carson changed formats from his talk show inside the studio to being out in L.A. And he's like in a restaurant and he'll do a little interview and it'll get... You know, is cut that up still and on? I'm never up that late. Oh yeah, late night. With late is it? It's the later, maybe. Yeah, late late show. Super no. late. Yeah, late late shows. Craig Ferguson. Late night with Seth Meyers and uh, late show. With David Letterman. Last call with Carson Daly. Last call. There Last we go. Call. Yeah. Last call. That should have been easier to remember. <laughs> that dude hosts so much, so so much. He's got a radio show. He's on. The Voice, he's got Last Call. Some of these people get so popular, I don't, I almost don't want to be famous because I'm like, I don't think I could work that much. I really don't want to work that much. Yeah, I wonder when do you start turning down the money because it's just taking up too much of your time. Mm-hmm. I mean, literally, yeah, like a guy like him or When do you decide, Seacrest? like, I don't know when I will sleep and uh, I don't know when I will do anything other than work. Yeah. But that's what the business is. Everybody's like, no, 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 you have to do it now while the iron's hot. Because two years from now, you could be nothing. Phone could not be ringing. So you have to take it all right now. Do you have Mark Cuban's phone number in your cell phone? I don't think it's in my cell phone. I think his email is. Mm-hmm. He answers email real well. Really? I suppose. Yeah, I mean, he's he's not hard to contact. Uh, if you go to just access uh, .tv on the internet... Um, it says, you know, about us, and it says contact. And under contact, it lists the name and email address of pretty much everybody involved. And Mark has his email on display publicly for anybody. I think it's just uh, mcuban at access.tv. <laughs> and he encourages people, yeah, email in. I'm going to email um, a, a, a link to this uh, this podcast. Yeah, do it. <laughs> do it. I have, I have nothing bad to say about Mark Cuban. <laughs> no. I want to ask, did you did uh, so you spend a, at least a little bit of time with him since you were Never met him. Never. Never shook hands. I wrote him one email once. He responded. Thanks, Ryan. We'll be in touch. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. I, I'm grateful for his support and that he has used me on things. And, uh I, he's never made any decisions that affect me that I'm like, ah, st- stupid Mark. How <laughs> dare you? I'm always like, yeah, okay, that makes sense. I can go with that. I don't, I, uh, I, I took some notes. Like I said, we talked about I came to the show last night. Yeah, I'd love to hear these. I took notes in the dark, which is not easy. No. Now so, try to read them back. See how easy that is. Exactly. So I don't want to, uh, you know, we're not going to blow your uh, act here or anything, but there are a couple things that... Uh, <laughs> that stood out. First of all, uh, I wanted to ask you. Actually, we're going to get to that one later. Would you start your set the same? Is it always? Um, is, is it always? Is it harassing the crowd? Mm-hmm. Um, it, there's this weird thing that happens in comedy when you are a touring headliner that no one really knows, and that is a lot of the people who come to see you really don't know what they're getting. So what you saw is pretty typical for me. Even on a Friday? 
Even Saturday? on a Friday, Saturday, I mean, the room can be full, but I can look around and go, no, none of you know me. Mm-hmm. You all just came here to see quote unquote comedy. Yeah. And you have no idea what it's going to be, and you all hope to like it. Yeah. And that's not what this is. Yeah. You you paid to see me. Like I'm always I'm always very interested in people's entitlement when it comes to comedy because they think, well, if it's what I like, then it's funny. And if it's not what I like, then it's not funny. Right. And I'm like, no, no, no. Funny is a lot like beautiful. It's in the eye of the beholder. Mm-hmm. And you entered into a contract with the club where you said, I would like a seat. And they said, great, you can have a seat. However, I entered into a contract with the club where they said, we would like you to perform. And I said, I will perform. Mm-hmm. And that's it. I don't have any contract with the audience to do anything. Yeah. I mean, I guess there's this underlying idea that, well, we paid for this, so you should try. But I'm like, no, 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 it, it is up to me. I will decide because if I want to throw all six shows and never work here again, I can do that. I'm sure it's been done somewhere. Yeah. People choose that all the time. I yeah. mean, comics have just quit midweek and gone, I'm never doing that club again. I'm just, I don't ever need to be there. Yeah. I don't like those crowds, you know, whatever they throw a fit. I am one of these people that uh, I described last week. A comic asked me about uh, my philosophy to comedy because he said, it doesn't matter if there's 18 people or if it's a sold out room. Like, you kind of give the same energy. And I said, yeah, that's because... It's the difference between wanting to win and not caring if you lose. Hmm. Like, I come mm-hmm. out and I really want to win. Yeah. If you dislike me, oh, I'm still going to work. I still want you to laugh. But if you don't laugh, I don't care because I didn't ask you to be here. I just announced that I would be here and then you chose to show up. Oh, yeah. Or you came out randomly. You're entering into this. Yeah. I-, I didn't invite you. Yeah. I have nothing to do with what you <laughs> That's like. Right. Um, so yeah, it, it, I do harass the crowd a little bit because I think what most people know about stand-up comedy comes from film and television and a little bit of their own personal experience, but there's no real education involved. There's nobody's ever really been challenged about their thoughts on comedy. And so what they believe about comedy isn't necessarily true. And what I believe about it isn't necessarily true. But you are coming to see me, so you get what I believe. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's interesting. I ju- this just uh, connected in my head. Uh, you know, like I said, I have uh, two daughters, five and seven, and my, my seven-year-old gets, like, what comedy is. She mm-hmm. watched a uh, Pete Lee special with me once. Yeah. And fallen in love with Pete. Yeah. Thinks he's adorable uh-huh. and funny, which he is. He is. And, uh, <clears throat> <laughs> right? <laughs> He'll tell you. <laughs> well, it's a weird alpha male thing to teach to little girls. Look at this man talking to the crowd of people. That's that's what a leader looks like. Yeah. Sure. Versus if you were watching sports with your girls, okay, that's that's the man, that's the point guard, that's the quarterback. He gets the ball, he's in charge of the team. That's what an alpha male looks like. So it's really teaching it's it's very interesting. So a we, certain idea. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we, so yesterday we're t- I was uh, telling my girls, I'm like, Yeah, Ashley and I tonight are gonna go to the uh, comedy club, you know, where I do that podcast. We're gonna see the uh, you know, the guy performing tonight. And my youngest daughter said, uh, uh, he, w- I said stand-up comedy, and she goes, what's that? Mm-hmm. And I didn't get a chance to answer because my older daughter said, you know, like in the Muppet movie we saw over the weekend, Fozzie, Kermit's friend Fozzie yeah. is, does comedy. Yeah. He comes up, uh, and she like, went in, like, you know, he goes up on stage and says, okay, everybody, and tries to make them laugh. I was like, yeah, 
good. Yeah, that's that's close enough. That's close enough. Waka waka. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, Fozzie Fozzie Panders. I would argue Fozzie Panders. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly. <laughs> His his self esteem is very much based on if they don't laugh, he's gonna feel bad. Um, he really needs to win, and he really cares if he loses. Yes. <laughs> so uh, yeah, it just uh, it just occurred to me. So yeah, that those are that's my uh, my my daughters uh, both of their experience with stand up Pete Lee and Fozzie Bear. I'm actually very uh, against children coming to live shows, mm-hmm. especially mine. Because I don't, I don't think I'm for children. <laughs> uh, I don't think they need to hear my material necessarily. But more importantly, I don't like the way adults in a comedy setting will be watching the show and will temper their responses because they'll look over and see how the children are reacting. Oh, I when we were, I I had seen Pete's comedy special. It was the comedy his half hour? Yeah, and I had seen it before, and mm-hmm. it, like the first half is very fairly clean right and then it gets a little like more suggestive sure and then it, i got uncomfortable and yeah then yeah we yeah. didn't even watch the last five minutes i was like you know what this is enough this isn't I, gonna be man, however no um her watching that has no effect on the show you know what i mean mm-hmm. like the show itself is a living breathing live thing that changes when you introduce children into that context yeah. however I do think children should listen to albums and should see shows that have already been taped yeah. because I think for them, there are a lot of things that they may not understand, but as they put together jokes in their head and they understand more the rhythm and timing and kind of the the structure of jokes, they start going, well, wait a second, in order for that to be funny... In order for the audience to laugh, well, that word that I don't understand must be this. Mm-hmm. Like, I can admit that I listen to a lot of, like, A&E's Evening at the Improv and uh, uh, various specials on HBO when I was, you know, eight, nine, ten years old. And so when I was a teenager or, you know, maybe 12, my mom was like, Ryan, do you know what a condom is? I was like, yeah, I know what a condom is. She was like, how do you know what a condom is? I was like, well, I mean, you listen to enough jokes about this topic and you go, well, that's got to be... They keep saying condom and they keep making reference. It's got to be a sheath for your dick. It's got to be. <laughs> it's got to prevent pregnancy and, uh, and you know, prevent uh, HPV. It's got to be that. <laughs> and that's, what, that's how you replied to your mom, right? Yeah. It's got to be, mom. It's got to be. A sheath? sheath for your dick. Um, but I, I think that type of brain exercise does make people more intelligent. They almost have to fill in, all right, A plus blank equals C. Mm-hmm. What could possibly be in there? Oh, B. A plus B equals C. Okay, I got it. You know, and it's, it, it's, uh, I guess it's sort of a sad thing. Maybe not, uh, but the first jokes a lot of kids are, uh, uh, they're, uh, they're around are knock-knock jokes, which aren't always... They, they aren't always um, the best. The other thing that sets it up strange is it's a dialogue, it's two people talking. Yeah. Which most jokes aren't that. Most no. jokes are told by one person. <laughs> um, they they do a lot of those. And then the other thing that I don't like that kids are exposed to are puns. Because for me, a pun... And and by the way, there are comics that are great at puns that I love dearly. Yeah. Like Mike Kaplan is is a pun master. Oh, he's so Zach funny. Sherwin, another great guy who uh, does you know a lot of musical type things. Right. But uh, is, is a lyricist. Um, 
the reason I don't like puns is because it's the same joke no matter who tells it. And there's no type of personality behind the joke. Yeah. It's the same no matter what the personality is. And so then I'm put into this artistic place of like, well, does that mean it's good because it's universal? Because you were able to find something so common amongst all of us mm-hmm. that anyone can tell the joke and it's great? Or does that make it bland entertainment because everybody can do it? And isn't the goal to be so specific as a comic that you do something that is so uh, specific to you that, that it's no yours. one right. can repeat it? Yeah. Right, right. So, I mean, people are divided on that. But, that, I mean, that's an artistic query that I can guarantee most of the audience never thinks of. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Uh, I, I know, and I think there's one thing of your act right now that really stands out that uh, cannot, that doesn't work with children. Uh-huh. <laughs> Yeah, and it involves the uh, a face. Yeah, the pedophile face. Yeah, um, then that. And by the way, all that stuff that I said was true about my friends and I trying to figure out like if there's a face that anyone could make that would make them look like a child molester. Like, is there a universal thing? Oddly enough, but to think of that to be like, why? What? What need do you have to make anyone look like a pedophile? And it's just some weird science thing in my head to be like, will people respond? Will people just say, yeah, that's, yeah, that's a pedophile. Um, and we really did come up with it in line at Disneyland. I and I was hung over. It was Cinco de Mayo. Ah. I had been drinking on the 4th. And, uh, I had Quattro picked, de Mayo. I had picked him up from a cruise with his girlfriend and we went straight to Disneyland because wow. they happened to be in Southern California. Okay. And... Uh, yeah, we just we were making that face all day, and uh, was it was it based off maybe seeing a guy like mm, it kind of looks like one? I don't know. I think it was just a facial manipulation, just trying to say how do you what what is it about your face that can suggest you know the ultimate creepiness? Well, I mean, it's almost sexual desire, but also deviance. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, I mean, how do you put that into a face? You know, your face has thousands of muscles. Have you ever coached a child to do that? I've never, no. Um, I don't have a lot of access to children. <laughs> I was trying a, th- a thing on stage for a while that... Because uh, I picture you're like a group of, you know, six, <laughs> ten-year-olds. Doing yeah, that. just trying to do it. I'm like, you can't look like a pedophile. You are a child. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was trying to explain this one thing because, I mean, on stage right now, I'm probably doing like eight to ten minutes about pedophilia. Right. <laughs> I even had a comic tell me recently, he was like, wow, Stout, I haven't seen you in a long time. And that was that was a chunk of pedophile jokes. That was a definitive, that's a lot, that's good. He said, you know, a lot of people, if they tell one pedophile joke, the crowd turns. You sure. talked about it for eight minutes and everybody stayed on board yeah. and nodded their heads and, you know, played with the idea. Um, but there was this thing at the end where I was trying to tell the crowd that I could never be a pedophile, ever. Simply, you know, if we just break it down to logistics, I'm a night person. <laughs> and so by the time I wake up at noon and get some coffee in me and kind of get fed and get out into the world, I would be staring at empty swing sets. That's true. Like, they're they're done. They're done. They've finished school. They're back home with their parents. Yeah, yeah. Homework and dinner in bed. Yeah, I go and, yeah. you know, I start my day at the nightclub. Kids are done by that hour. That's true. So even taking everything else and putting it aside, that one factor, my sleeping habits, <laughs> prevent me from ever being that kind of sexual deviant. Mm-hmm. And I said, and I tell the crowd, I'm like, if you wake up at 6 a.m., guess what? You're 
closer to being a pedophile than I am. Mm-hmm. And then people don't like that. No, people right don't like being confronted with that type of truth. <laughs> because the next morning when they drive past that uh, school that bus school, stop. They're like, oh, God, I guess this is an opportunity. <laughs> I never thought of it this way. That's, now I feel bad about myself. <laughs> Looking at themselves in the rear view mirror, <laughs> seeing if they're doing the face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, it's, no one's going to assume anything here, are they? <laughs> it's another strange thing with uh, with entertainment that, you know, there's a cliche out there that says the truth hurts. Mm-hmm. But if you say something true on stage, you should be able to say it, even if it does kind of hurt. Mm-hmm. And even if it's true, it can be funny and hurt all at the same time. But... Uh, a lot of people have this idea that entertainers, it's your job to make people feel good. It's your job to make them forget their problems. And I'm like, yeah, but isn't it also my job to tell the truth? Mm-hmm. And if the truth hurts, then sometimes entertainment doesn't always make you feel good. Yeah. So, um, you know, of course, it's my business. So I think about these things a lot. Sure. But, uh, you know, when Jimmy Fallon, when Will Smith sits on the couch and tells Jimmy Fallon, you know, you have such a good heart and this is, you know, this is our job. It's to make people feel good. I sit at home and I go, no, I don't know if that's my job. Uh, I don't think it is. uh, I think maybe it's my job to think and say things that are funny, whether they feel good or bad. Have you caught on to the Jimmy Fallon thinks everything is the greatest thing ever? Yes, he is, he's always, um, I find him to be very likable. Oh my God, the likability of that guy is through the roof. But uh, he is very, um, I, I would really like it if he would come out against something. I haven't seen it yet. Against, he is very likable, very likable. Against really anything. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean come out, I don't want Jimmy Fallon to come on stage and go, listen guys, I'm against the Holocaust that happened in the 40s. I'm against that. <laughs> yeah, clearly, Jimmy, you're always on the side of the public. I got it. Right. I would like him to come out and be like, you know what? I kind of think satellite radio sucks. Yeah. Or, you know what? Here's my opinion about something true that NBC does. Yeah. Letterman does that shit. Letterman calls people crazy. Letterman oh, yeah. is very opinionated. Mm-hmm. And you kind of tune in and go, oh. I'm yeah. hearing something truthful yeah. from somebody, and he's making it humorous. Have you done Letterman? I've not. Oh. No. No. I mean, the only stand-up late night set I've done is Conan. Conan, right. Um, <clears throat> I don't... Very early in my career, I was told, you can't swear, don't don't use profanity, because uh, you can't do that on television. Yeah. And I went, oh, that makes sense. And even if you listen to my first album, there's no profanity until the very last bit, but I make a big deal about it. Okay. Um, and then once that really had no effect on my career, when people were like, yeah, I mean, you're not swearing, but you're still talking about suicide. I'm like, yeah, but nobody's actually getting hurt in the suicide joke. They're like, yeah, but it's still controversial. Like, there are so many reasons why TV won't put you on. Yeah. And I'm like, that is a clean, stupid, easy victimless joke or not victimless i'm the victim if you really want to break the joke down so that should be along on television Mm -hmm. they go yeah but we might get letters like they are so dainty in the world of television Mm. that they don't let anything really pass and so uh um yeah i've been pretty much just told over and over again that no ryan's too mean for late night ryan's too mean (sighs) That brings up something I'm, you, uh, I was going to ask you. Do you ever get, uh, and I would just, here's me assuming, 
that it would be a woman. But do you ever have women come up to you after a show and be like, you know, just you're so you're too mean. Um, oddly enough, it's uh, it's kind of the opposite with women, especially women. I'd say forty plus. It doesn't matter what I say on stage; they will come up and be like, you know, you are just adorable. And they that's they will mean it with every yeah. fiber of their being. Sure. You you are just so adorable up there. I could just watch you all day. And you're looking at this sweet, sweet lady and you're like, Wow, you had no you have no contentions with the suicide or the pedophilia or the rape or anything like that. You just think I'm adorable. Yeah. And it, it reminds me of that Maya Angelou quote that nobody ever remembers what you say to them. They just remember how you made them feel. Ah, yeah. And it's it's strange too because as a comedian, I would like to think that my words have weight. I'd like to think that my words have some sort of effect on society and well, culture. You, yeah. But mm, no, I think a lot of people leave going that was fun, or they leave going that wasn't fun, mm-hmm. and that's all they remember. Yeah. And when the ones that say it wasn't fun, then they try to rationalize reasons why the jokes were bad. But they were fine jokes, I know, because everyone was laughing except for maybe you and right. your snooty friends. Right. Uh, but yeah, I think people really rely on their feelings exclusively, and I try to get them not to. Yeah, that's interesting. My, I will say, like I said, it was with my girlfriend. There was a time where she had her, she was, she was doing the thing where like covering her face, like uh-huh. cover your face, yeah. show how freaking hard you're laughing. She, yeah, like, yeah, she yeah. was crying. Yeah, she was laughing so hard. So, nice. Yeah, that's always hard for a comedian when an audience of people is holding their laughter in and loving every minute, and you're like, wow, guys, you know, you could make this. An uproarious show. Yeah, right Amber, now. <laughs> uh, the uh, who's uh, featuring this week, she actually that was something she like said at the beginning of her set. Mm-hmm. Like, don't be so Midwestern, don't be so Minnesotan. Like, don't cover your, don't stifle your laugh. I feel, I feel, I, I live off that. I'm eating that up here. Like, yeah. no, no, that's what you need to serve me is more and more laughs. Don't mm-hmm. hold it in. Yeah. So, and then an hour later, I look over at my girlfriend's like <gasps> she's holding everything <laughs> like, no, in. Yeah, don't do that. So. <laughs> Whatever. Hey, uh, you were born where? I was born in Cleveland, Ohio. Cleveland, and then? And then I moved to El Paso, Texas. And then I did a year at the College of Santa Fe, and then I moved, I dropped out, and I moved to San Francisco to start doing stand-up, and then September 11th happened, and uh, I was working at a piano store at the time, um, and nobody was really buying pianos. <laughs> you know, remember after September 11th, the economy took that big dip yeah, and yeah. people weren't really buying luxury items. Yeah. Um, that happened. And so I just kind of decided, uh, I think I can just kind of maybe go back to school. I was living in uh, like the Dublin Pleasanton area, which is a good 45 minutes outside San Francisco. Okay. And I was like, if I just, I could apply to like San Francisco State. You only need like a 2.0 to get in. I can crush that. And I'm pretty sure the classes would be easy enough that I could do stand-up every night. So I ended up moving into the dorms in the city. And, uh, yeah, my plan worked out perfectly. I did stand-up every single night. And I just went to my classes during the day. And then, uh, yeah, I had two classes left. I dropped out, moved to Los Angeles, and got on television. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I never finished college either. Yeah. Overrated. There's a lot of us. Yeah. And it doesn't matter. How, uh, what what would the family, why'd they leave Cleveland for El Paso. That's an interesting. My dad worked for General Motors, just like his dad, and uh, just like you. Oh no, not just like. (laughs) um, Well, they're both mechanical engineers. My older brother's an electrical. He got his 
degree in electrical engineering, but he really he's a computer scientist. Um, he works at Lawrence Livermore Labs in the Bay Area, San Francisco Bay Area, and uh, programs computers to shoot lasers the size at a target the size of a pinhead. Awesome. He's a mathematical genius. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, they in Cleveland in the early 1980s, mid-1980s, my dad was told, hey, General Motors is going to shut this plant down. We can move you to either Buffalo, New York, or El Paso, Texas. And my dad went, well, I'm never going to see winter again. Yeah. I'm going to go to the desert. And so that's where we went. And I don't know. There there were parts of me that I think he should have picked Buffalo. Oh, really? <laughs> It's just closer to other things. You know what I mean? You can just drive to other cities that are nearby. El Paso, it's like 11 hours to Denver. It's five to Albuquerque. It's so perfect. I'm going to stop you right there because I've, I've, you just led to something so perfectly. Uh-huh. So how long were you in El Paso? I was there from age four to 17, so 13 years. Okay. Now, I saw in your bio that you lived in El Paso for mm-hmm. a time. So I, I put in... On my phone, on like a Google Bing, I'm not sure which, Bing search. Apparently uh-huh. I'm using Bing these days. Good. I put El Paso, Texas is, and I had it do the auto, like guess and see where I was going, you know? Mm-hmm. So these are the two, uh, these are the first two that came up. El Paso, Texas is in what country? <laughs> and El Paso, Texas is it safe. Is it safe? Is yeah. it safe? And what country? In, is, in what country? Well, we're in Texas, so the United States. Okay, thank you. Right, thank you. right on the border of New Mexico and Mexico. Is that why people would be asking that? Is because it's so close, even well, though because Texas is in the name? Why would people be asking that to be? I think because El Paso is Spanish. Yeah. And uh, Juarez is right across the border. So a uh, million people live in Juarez. Okay. And so um, even though... <laughs> Even though I was lying when I was like, there's not a major city in driving distance. Um, oh, it's my dad, My dad worked in Juarez because that's where the General Motors plant was. So he would cross the border every day and he was head engineer at this plant that, you know, uh, made car seats. And uh, they had all sorts of, you know, Mexican workers sewing you know, the the materials to put on the seats. The drugs into the seats, and, and then they would well, mule them over. You know, the strangely b- enough, there were a lot of women during that time who would get, you know, they'd be waiting to take buses back home, and they would get kidnapped, and their bodies would be found out in the desert. And that was happening a lot. And the FBI went down and did a lot of investigation, and they still don't know what the hell was happening. And now with the drug cartels, it is just, like, you go to El Paso, and they're like, hey, guys, we used to have a great tourism business Having people walk across the border, shop in Juarez, and then come back. Don't go to Juarez. Really? You'll get kidnapped. You'll get shot. I mean, even my dad was told, listen, guys, um, with the drug cartels, you kind of have to use the buddy system, keep an eye on each other, and just know that General Motors can't pay any sort of ransom. Because as soon as we pay ransom, they're going to start kidnapping all of our employees. Was it they actually had to... Yeah, there, send out the memo. There are seminars and things, and I asked one of my dad's friends that still works down there. My dad's retired, but okay. um, I asked him and his wife. You know, they're sitting across the table from me at dinner, and I was like, "So you still go down there? What is that?" And he said, "Well, you know, technically, with life insurance, since I'm on the job, it's double indemnity. 
So we'd get paid double the amount, and she'll be fine. She can, you know, finish out her life. And his wife just looked at me and nodded her head, and I was like, okay, all right, fair enough. But, yeah, if you go down there now, it is just, it is a war zone. But that, oddly enough, because of the Border Patrol, makes El Paso one of the safest cities in the United States. Well, there, that answers that question. Is it safe? I think we had, like, five murders last year. Now, for a city that's the population of Seattle, I mean, arguably the size of Seattle, I think there's probably some census problems, you know, with all of the uh, illegal immigrants. (laughs) But... You just say in the cut, yeah, <laughs> like when they do a uh, oh the Pew Center for research, yeah, well, plus or minus four, yeah, this one might be plus or minus, <laughs> yeah, a lot more actually. <laughs> How many people live in your household? Four. <laughs> you mean a baker's dozen? Right. Okay. Um, so for a city that big to have five murders, pretty safe. Yeah, <laughs> you just don't go across the border. Apparently not. And the and there's an army base there. There's the border patrol there pretty well keeps the violence on the other side of the border nice yeah so now living all around the uh united states cleveland texas california sports fan at all well i mean that's kind of what i learned growing up is that uh because el paso is so far away from any major sports team (laughs) you know again like seven eight hours to phoenix 11 to denver nine to san antonio rooting for anybody is kind of a lonely activity Whereas you go to Pittsburgh and you realize, oh, this whole community lives and dies with the team. Mm -hmm. That's what makes sports fun, to be around the other people. Humans are communal animals. We like to, to congregate and be involved in something together. And there's no togetherness in El Paso as far as sports go, unless you're rooting for, I don't know, the UTEP miners. But even that, you're like, I'm... I'm rooting for a small college team that's not ever going to play, right. you know, in the Final Four. It's not ever going to be, you know, in the Rose Bowl. Remember when they would have, uh, uh, like, Mountain Dew, where they would have, leading up to the Final Four, and they would have the school names underneath the cap? And then if that team won the championship, you'd get maybe, I don't know, a T-shirt or something. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, It wasn't yeah. anything too great. Right. But it would be like, oh, you know, you'd hope to get Duke or Georgetown or something. Yeah. Then you get UTEP. Like, oh, man, ah, I don't have a chance. The was... University of Texas in El Paso? Is this Ugh. even real? <laughs> so, yeah, the, the, the sports thing, I was never really into um, watching it. I never really caught up with the teams or the players or the statistics. I did like to play sports because I think that was just one of the only options I had. Can you be close to girls? Well, when you grow up in the desert and it's, you know, nice out, especially at night. Yeah. um, And in the wintertime, maybe sometimes you need a windbreaker. Mm -hmm. It's never cold, necessarily. Um, Sports are a viable option. You're outside a lot. I was outdoors forever as a kid. So I'd play basketball and I swam, not competitively, but... uh, I did. Did you swim competitively? I did. Yeah, I guess. Did you grow up here? Yeah. Okay, so you wanted to be indoors. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very much so. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Get into that warm pool. I'm not going outside to run cross-country in the snow. Well, you you know, we're here in the... uh, Where hockey's popular. Uh Uh-huh. Skating? Can you skate? Um, Yeah. I I mean, I learned how to rollerblade as a kid... Rollerblade before ice skates? 
Um, well, the first time I was on ice skates was in college, and uh, you know, kids are kids. I mean, college kids are kids you know kind of like shuffling out onto the ice, and I was like, "Come on, guys, there's skates. Just get out onto the ice." And so. My first time ice skating, it was no problem. I was going backwards. I was looping around the rink. All right. It's just like rollerblading, everybody. What are you doing? All right, hot shot. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I, uh... I never had my own rollerblades. The only time I ever used some was when I was in college, and I was uh, friends with this girl, and her roommate had such big feet, she had rollerblades that fit me. Oh. (laughs) So you'd borrow them. I would borrow uh, a girl's rollerblades, yes. Uh, my good friend Brett played ice hockey in in El Paso. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't something that a lot of kids were doing, so he kind of thought it was cool, so he got into it. But So he's he's an adult now, and he has all his hockey equipment still, and uh, he has a pair of rollerblades because he was like, yeah, it's like ice skating. He did the opposite of what I did, so he'll... If he really needs to go someplace like locally nearby, he will rollerblade over there, which Aww. a lot of people shun. I'm like, you're almost 30. What are you doing <laughs> on rollerblades? Uh, I want one, more, one final sports question for you here. Mm-hmm. Uh, an athlete. Do you, do, you, so you, do you even have a favorite one? Who, a famous one. When I say famous athlete, what's the first one that pops into your head? Well, oddly enough, I think the first thing that popped in my head was uh, Metal World Peace. Really? Just because he goes out and tries to do stand-up comedy. No, he doesn't. He does. He absolutely does. And, uh, it, yeah, they because he's famous, he just gets to sell out comedy clubs because they're like, yeah, he's going to be there. And people go out to see it. This is not happening. This is happening, yeah. Right. Yeah, absolutely. When he's not playing ball... Sometimes he will do sets around L.A. He was at the Los Angeles, the Hollywood Improv, and, uh, you know, tonight, Ron Artest sold out, and he gets on stage. He doesn't know what he's doing because he spent his whole life playing basketball. He hasn't written any jokes. What? And so that's the thing about stand-up comedy is people think, oh, I'm going to go see this popular person, but then they're not good at it. And then people think, well, if he's popular and he's not good at it, then the not popular guy must really suck at it. Well, you know what you need to do? Go show up and play for the Lakers. Well, if I could change places with Ron Artest, I could get on stage and just crush and clean up financially. Are you kidding? <laughs> I could just rake it in doing my act from his body. Let's do that. What? <laughs> yeah, let's see. Oh, uh, there could be some amazing uh, displacement of talent, uh, you know, if you compare that like, um, uh, well, you're the best at, uh, you know, you're the best at uh, rollerblading. Let's put you playing for the twins. I mean, well, no, they they don't fit at all. Right, right. Yeah. Hey, you're a really good singer. Why don't you build my house? Yeah, get out there. Mow the lawn. Ugh. Wow. Wow. People know you probably, uh, well, uh, know your face at least from Chelsea lately. How sure. Ma- how many times do you think you've done that? I'd say probably around 50. Yikes. Over since like 2009. So over the course of five years. And the big rumor is she's wrapping it up. Yeah, she's going to shut it down, uh, allegedly, in December. Uh, anytime somebody leaves a popular show, though, you know, there's always suspect because, you know, Stern has talked about leaving. He's always talking about leaving. Oh, yeah. That, so. And it always helps his contract negotiations. Sure. The idea that he might walk away. Yeah. It's, it's a really shitty thing, I think, in show business that part of negotiations is pretending that you're unhappy. 
And I'm like, do we have to really yank each other's chains like this? Right. Why can't we just, you know, because the people at the top are making a lot of money and they don't yeah. want it to trickle down to the talent. So if they're like, well, we might lose our cash cow, let's give a little more. Let's give a little more. But I think Chelsea, too, I think she might be. I think she's an intelligent person and I think she's tired of talking about pop culture. So um, she could easily end up, uh, you know, doing a different talk show. Where that's less, hey, let's talk about this thing that happened today. Do you like doing the pop culture stuff when you go on that show as a guest? I like it only in that uh, it will make me think of jokes that I would have never thought of before. Mm -hmm. You know, they they say, hey, Amanda Bynes was caught smoking marijuana behind the wheel of her car. And this happened. I think I would never, ever write about this. Right. I would never even think to attempt a joke on this topic. Yeah. So now we're working on it. Now I'm trying to, you know, exercise that muscle. And I end up coming up with a joke that I'm really proud of. And I go, wow, look at that. I would have never, ever worked on that. Yeah, and well, we came good. out with a little piece of gold yeah. that made some people laugh. And it's crafted in a way that I'm proud of. And we'll take it. Some days it's awful. Some days I'm like, I have nothing. Ugh. But other days, yeah, it's all joke writing. I normally, uh, Wikipedia, I don't, you know, I know that it's uh, anyone can change things and put just a bunch of BS on there. So I always question what I see on someone's Wikipedia page. Uh-huh. <clears throat> uh, but on yours, it says you were an Eagle Scout. Yes. True? True. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, I got into the Boy Scouts, I think, in fourth or fifth grade and then uh yeah worked my way up and i think i was an eagle scout i think i got awarded that in 1997 so i just turned 15 yeah people that's it was something it was something to do in el paso texas again you know you go outdoors you camp you go up to the mountains you camp (laughs) is there a skill you use from eagle scouts i mean if the boy scouts taught anything to me it was about leadership Mm -hmm. i mean you're required to hold the leadership position you know for you know six months at this rank so that you can get to the next rank um but as far as being in charge knowing your weaknesses delegating authority kind of being communicative i think all of those things have suited me really well and uh I would even describe stand-up comedy as a leadership position. You're in charge of the group, mm-hmm. and uh, you have to decide what's best for the group. And so even though there might be someone in the audience who paid for a ticket, who does not like the show, you kind of go, yes, but 95% of the group is liking the yeah, show. That was funny. Last so th- you have to suck it. Last night you're doing that. Oh, you're a new leader. You're, you're the new leader. Yeah. Your uh, your team leader, your team leader, right front row. <laughs> you look at her, and that's me delegating authority. Yeah. See what that is? Yeah. You're just in charge of laughter. I'll be in charge of jokes. <laughs> this is laughter, Captain. No, that that was perfect. Absolutely perfect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for a long time, I bashed the Boy Scouts as being uh, kind of worthless and really showing me the inner workings of a uh, of an organization. And I kind of learned that every organization is flawed because you've got humans involved who are egotistical and they need certain uh, accolades and they they try to pull power maneuvers. And it really has nothing to do with the goals of the organization. It only has to do with the personal goals of that individual. Mm -hmm. Um, And I saw a lot of that in the Boy Scouts from the adult leaders. And I was like, oh, 
this is kind of gross and nasty mm-hmm. and not what this is supposed to be about. How interesting. But then as far as, you know, I don't think a lot of people took the leadership skills I took from it. But, uh, yeah, the more I, I get older and the more I see how I break down life and I'll talk to my girlfriend about her job and she'll discuss things that are going on at work and she'll discuss, you know, her boss that she's upset with. And I'm like, yeah, but he's leaning on you because he knows you can handle it. He's delegating authority. He's kind of, he's kind of doing the right thing when you're in charge and he's not as capable as you are to make you do it and then take all the credit. That's kind of good leadership. (laughs) It's kind of good leadership. It's how CEOs are made. Yeah. So I, the more I've thought about it in life, I've taken a lot from that aspect of the Boy Scouts. Yeah. As far as, you know, snake bites and uh, dealing with um, dehydration well, and I stuff a, like that, I'm not I, uh, any better off. My girlfriend and I, after your show last night, we pulled off the road and did it behind some bushes. I have a rash now. Oh, good. I was hoping you'd take a look at it. Since I think you here. suck the poison out. Is that right? Does anybody know? You'll suck the poison. <laughs> <laughs> Would you please suck out the poison? <laughs> Anything else we need to if cover? I looked at it, I was like, oh, that's poison oak, son. <laughs> yeah, you got to... You got to get in the bath. Yeah, I have a salve right here. You got to my... bath out in some milk. <laughs> Ugh. Anything else? Anything else we should be covering that I mean, uh, I'd give just, some attention uh, to for you? I hope that not only for me, but for any comedian that anyone decides to go see, I hope that they, uh, A, look them up on the internet first. Mm-hmm. I always advise that. You, you by know, the way, I have one of the best websites is for a comedian I've oh, ever thanks. seen. And I'm, I honestly am saying that. It's, Thank you. It's easy to navigate and you find stuff. There's, and, there's stuff to, there, you have that game that yeah. I spent a few minutes playing. Two Truths and a Lie. Yeah. I yeah. was playing that for a few you minutes You learned yesterday. a few things about me. You have the dates. You've got tons of video. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, really, really good site. Thank you. And, and partially that's me being... <laughs> It's me being defensive in advance so that I can stand on stage and be like, if you didn't look me up before you came, this is your fault yeah. that you're here. You have more videos than almost like any comedian I've seen. That's great. Thank you. Because yeah. as someone who does, this, for me personally, doing mm-hmm. this job, I want to be able to look stuff up. Sure. Especially if I don't have a chance to come see you or I haven't before. Last well, night, I got to come see your show. I don't we're in this new that. era of give it away for free mm-hmm. and then see if people are interested. Yeah. And so I, I do that. But the other thing is I don't, I don't let anybody else own my stuff. So I don't... Uh, there are a lot of companies out there that they're like oh we'll film you and we'll put up on our website and then you know we get all the web traffic but then you get great video and i'm like well maybe i can get great video on my own yeah and then you don't have the right to sell that overseas to advertisers and shit like that <laughs> like you really read these forms and you think oh you're taking advantage of comedians rooftopcomedy.com uh-huh. you are really really ripping people off um <laughs> so I look at, at stuff like that, and uh, I try to put out what I can. So I always encourage people, look up who you're going to see first, because you're not, you're not buying a ticket to a movie. You can't just show up and be like, yeah, it's, it's comedy, right? It's exactly what I think it's going to be. Mm-hmm. No, it is absolutely not what yeah. you think it's going to be. Yeah. Um, I always tell people, too, uh, no comedian has ever written a joke that everybody laughs at. Never happened. Not once, ever. Yeah. So just because you don't like a joke doesn't mean it's a bad joke. You should be an adult and say, oh, this type of comedy isn't for me. Right. I will politely excuse myself 
and I'm not going to hold a grudge against anybody. I was dumb to come here without looking the person up. <laughs> Consumer responsibility. So be it. Um, if you're, if you're going to be buying a new blender... You yeah. might go on Consumer Reports and check them out. Yeah, you don't just go buy a brown box that they say, yeah, that's got a blender in it. Yeah. Oh, okay. Great. That's what I came for was a blender. <laughs> the choice is ultimately yours, and you do have a lot of power in this. So if you end up seeing somebody you don't like, maybe you share some of that responsibility. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, uh, you know, but we're here at Acme and... 99. No, I mean, Comedy Savvy crowd's coming out. You're, yeah. uh, you have a good chance of hitting... Uh, no, hitting somebody you like. They'll be very here. fun crowds. I can't guarantee they'll know who I am, but they'll play my games. They'll play my games. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Ryan, thank you. Thank you. Pleasure. My pleasure.